0: Hey, it's Chase from On the Table Gaming, and welcome back to the On the Table Gaming podcast. In this week, we'll be talking about Article 14 in the Visions in the Flames series, looking at the upcoming 2021 updates to A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. Special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters who make this podcast possible. Today, we're joined by Simon game designer Michael Chanel and lead game developer Fabio Curry as we talk about The Watchers on the Wall, The Guardians of the Realms of Men, The Night's Watch. Michael and Fabio, thank you so much for coming back on the
1: podcast. Well, our watch has not ended. We never left Chase. (laughs) I was wondering what that noise in the background was. But, you know, people
0: have been hanging out, waiting anxiously for these visions to be previewed. And the watchers on the wall now have finally gotten to see on the horizon their update coming in the form of the Night's Watch uh, previews for the 2021 update. So this is going to be really exciting. But before we jump into talk about this, let's go a little bit south and talk about some of the Lannister submissions that we saw, of uh, people's painted work on the Facebook page. Was there any ones that caught your eye in particular? There were
2: two that specifically jumped out at me. Uh, the first one here was by uh, Christian Feltman and his Clegane Painted Army. And that's mainly because yellow always is going to draw attention because it's such a pain in the ass to paint. And that was one that stood out. But it's always cool to see a bunch of mountainsmen led by three forms of the mountain. The other one was by David Coughlin and, well, actually more mountains men, but this was specifically due to his basing. I am, as I've talked about before, I'm a big fan of doing scenic bases and the trays. And these right here look like they were, I'm actually going to go ahead and say these are probably green stuff stamped. I might be incorrect on that, but that's how I'm looking and seeing here. But the, uh, the cobblestone look here was something that really drew my attention. And the white in contrast with the rest of the armor as well.
1: And Fabio, how about you? I'm going to go with Anthony Campisi again. I think that just the scenario background looks amazing. The, I think these columns might be Lego. Uh, I'm not sure, but it was really creative. And the Taiwan miniature he did just looks amazing. I, I like the basing, although it doesn't really fit the whole composition of everything of of the theme here that he's indoors because he put the grass but in general the Taiwan's really well painted and i love these like dioramas that people do listen 2021 updated uh tywin he can bring grass wherever he wants and nobody's gonna tell him otherwise he has his own grass carrier to follow him around there we go <laughs>
0: And then I'll, I'll give a shout out to Calvin Lumley. He did a really cool Lannister attachment box. In particular, the Champion of the Faith, uh, absolutely fantastic job on that cloak and on the, the shield imagery as well. Really cool job pulling out these rainbow colors. And, you know, all of them look just fantastic. And with that being said, I think we can turn our, our gaze back to the wall to talk about the final, uh, final previews here for... The Night's Watch, man, this is a, this is a it's been a long time coming for these guys. They've been patiently waiting, and there's a lot of good stuff here to unpack. So, for those that maybe are tuning in for the first time, or really just tuning in for their Night's Watch piece, let's just quickly touch on some of the, the wider changes that are happening in the update. And we kind of noticed that with the changes to their tactics cards, that the tactics cards aren't heavily focused on one specific zone. In fact, the tactics cards don't reference zones at all. We also noticed with the Neutrals and the Targaryens that their decks as opposed to the rest focused on one zone in particular on tactics board. Can you maybe speak to the larger idea behind the Night's Watch and maybe Targaryen and Neutral how they sort of change their focus on the tactics board
1: on the tactics board and and how that bears out with their tactics cards? By design, each faction uh, as a rule of thumb has two zones that they focus on. And this is based on the faction's theme, right, and their flavor in general. In the case of the neutrals, because of the way the commanders work and how it's kind of, it has to be a toolkit deck, focusing on one zone allows us to then have the commander focus on the other or none at all. But at least we maintain the fun, (laughs) this is funny, but we maintain the vanilla flavor of it, right? And that's really important in the neutrals, that's part of what makes them neutral is their commander and the unit types are what really changes flavor and subtheme. In the Targaryens, this kind of also happened with the new Targaryen commanders and they're um, swapping cards. So they come with four cards each and they can each focus on their own tactic zone, if any, that, that fits their flavor as well. So this gave us a lot of, let's say, um, design space on these two decks in the case of the night's watch, right? That's a a deeper problem because in the beginning we thought, well, the night's watch should have something in related to each tactic zone, right? Because they're not focused in one specific tactic zone. And that started creating a problem where they had to spread their NCU's too thin and they weren't able to get the most out of the cards all the time. We believe that by removing the tactic zones from the cards, this also shows their, I wouldn't say disregard, but equal care to each zone. So now the zones actually are just useful as they are, right? And the Night's Watch is not dependent on controlling these zones.
2: That was essentially how you uh, kind of came up with the initial perception, I guess I'm going to say this, of the Night's Watch when we first made them and everything. They were spread across all five zones. And that was basically to represent their adaptability of they're not tied to specific zones, so they can gain bonuses just for taking any zone. So like, you know, they can play their own game, not so much worry about what the opponent has. The thing is, what that really kind of morphed into when it comes to both the play style and also a player perception was that instead of having freedom to like work around the zones, it actually more so made them locked into needing specific zones at a specific time. So it actually kind of in the long term had the opposite effect of what we wanted. Instead of giving them a fundamental freedom to kind of play as they wanted across the tactics board, including kind of ignoring it entirely. It actually made them more zone dependent than most other factions because now they needed to, you know, get specific zones to gain bonuses. Part of that was like the actual design, the way that turned out, and that was an unintentional side effect. And part of that is also like perception, where People are always going to view something that is a requirement as a negative without the other way around is like, okay, they've got the freedom to take it. And I understand that. like, you know, that's that's just how, you know, things come up. That's why, you know, if anything has a negative associated with it, you always have to heavily look at that because that negative is always going to be viewed way uh, heavier than any bonus. Like you've seen like in previous ones, like with Joffrey and everything, where Joffrey, if you look at tournament reports and data and things back when we had like, you know, in-person events, Joffrey was actually ranked one of the highest Lannister commanders, but you had so many people that just refused to play him because he had any negatives associated with him. That's kind of something here along the Night's Watch as well, was that when you look to the tactics zones, they have the case of their tactics cards are gaining additional benefits in the fact that they can permanently equip to units. That is a straight-up just benefit compared to a lot of other tactics cards, but based on a situational bonus of controlling a zone. Well, because people are looking at that as like, this is the integral part of Night's Watch, they're not really viewing that so much as a bonus as it was a restriction. And, you know, that was creating kind of a negative mental and play experience for people. So we decided to just go that in the opposite direction here and just remove those zone requirements entirely. And now they're getting back to the original fundamental like kind of direction we wanted to go where they're not so much tied into a specific zone or the tactics board in general. They just do their own thing. And if that's an element that they want to exploit or utilize, they can with a lot of freedom because they can just do whatever they want there now.
0: And that makes sense. Is there any particular Night's Watch Taxes card that you feel is really kind of an iconic card that stands out to you as being like kind of really at the core of the flavor of this faction? Probably
2: if, you have, if, you have, if I had to pick one, it would probably be Take the Black because yeah. that is the one that has the most unique game mechanics surrounding it. The rest of them are all just like kind of situational bonuses in some capacity. So I can't really say one jumps out at me as being better than the other. But Take the Black is like that
0: iconic, you know, people will remember that card when it's used and used to good effect. And what's cool about this now in the 2021 update is that we can see instead of having that old choose one effect where you could basically kind of do some healing or take an attachment, now it's got both and it restores right at the top like a max four wounds. It's not even a roll. That's gonna be a really useful card. You know, for a lot of the vows themselves, we haven't seen any kind of like major overhauls or like anything too dramatic. In a lot of cases it is is kind of a blending of the old effects, some minor tweaks where, you know, maybe instead of just being uh, an element that gives you vulnerable like in in the Sword of the darkness it now also includes a panic which of course helps up the up the damage but uh, nothing that's kind of like too earth shattering so do you feel like the vows were you know kind of in a strong place even in the 1.6 version and that really just needed some like minor refinements
1: yeah the vows they kind of worked the way we wanted them to except for the tactic zone part right what we did here was mostly streamline wording and modulate things to the current um Power level. Let's say we wanted of tactics cards. Out of all the factions, probably the Night's Watch is the one that had the fewest changes to it today.
2: I would actually argue that because I, I know the second you said that statement, Fabio, there and also remember, internet's forever. That people are gonna go, "What the hell is he talking about?" And I'm gonna jump in the counterpoint there that actually, from just looking at this from a mechanic standpoint, the Night's Watch deck probably received the biggest shift, and it's one specific thing that caused that. Is that the initial Nightswash Watch tactics cards, usually by design, had a very kind of weak or meddling starter effect. And mm-hmm. then the vow effect was the more powerful effect that, you know, you would want to click on later. So you would have like a minor combat bonus and then you would equip a card and then it would gain a major bonus if you control a specific zone later. And that script has actually been flipped now where you have a significant uh, effect on the baseline tactics card, just like all the other tactics cards you'll see. And then when it does its little vowel equip, which, by the way, I want to just sidetrack in here real quick. We got rid of the vowel keyword because it really wasn't adding anything that can just be explained by the standard rules that we already do with a bunch of other cards. So the keyword effect was removed and then it was just replaced by text, which actually ended up shortening the amount of like card rule space on there by a lot. So that was one of the reasons that was done in case anyone asked that. But anyway, the secondary effect when they're equipped, that actually is much less significant than it was before. Now you're getting these little micro bonuses that are kicking on. But the biggest trade off there is that you can stack these things up, which plays in part to the whole elite nature of the Night's Watch. So as the game goes on and you fill these other triggers for tactics cards and everything, your one unit can just
1: start really snowballing and become just a powerhouse. Yeah, um, just to be clear, different cards stack right cards with the same name still don't stack uh, that's again
2: same same baseline rulebook the yeah. same name do not
1: stack so lighten
2: the, the light that brings the dawn does not stack of light that brings the dawn you either have the effect <laughs> or you do not you just
0: you save that one new player who started off being like man these guys are really good
1: <laughs> just-
2: <laughs> i mean people are people are that's that's going to be a common thing that comes up i'm sure but the baseline rule book covers this. So,
0: And, you know, so losing that kind of vow specific terminology, does that mean that there will not be keywords like uninitiated anymore, where it was like this unit cannot attach vows? That doesn't remove that. That re- removes that specific wording. OK, so the concept could still work. Gotcha. Yes. Oh, that that is good to know. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and now we see that, you know, you can't attach these to neutral units, for example. So that kind of still fits in with that flavor piece there. Yeah, that's one other
2: thing that I think that people have overlooked here as well. And I remember this actually came up when we showcased the, uh, some of the tactics art initially, is that specific wording really does matter. And it says here, like, all these cards have to specifically target a Night's watch unit. Neutrals are not Night's watch units. That wording is there for a reason. So that's something else I feel will be overlooked.
0: But again, just got to read the card, man. Makes sense. And let's take a look at some of these basic units. Now, I've got fond memories of, I think it was at PAX Unplugged when I first got to see the Night's Watch starter boxes. And they had them out doing like demo games. And we all kind of gathered around. And, you know, when the uh, there was actually a tournament there that was being run as well, where you would have pre-made armies that you could jump in with. And so people got a chance to kind of play in another format a little bit more competitively, but, you know, kind of testing your luck with, you know, the new Night's Watch lists and things like that. And Sworn Brothers were, were so scary and, and uh, all this stuff was like all new and didn't know how to fight against it. And so it's really cool to kind of see now, you know, how far things have changed or haven't changed. And, uh, you know, I think back to the Sworn Brothers as being such a versatile, versatile unit. And in the 2021 update now, we see they get they get some changes here. So now we're seeing an order added on this martial training order when this unit is performing a melee attack before we're t- rolling attack dice. They may re-roll any attack dice and the defender becomes vulnerable and they still have their sundering, uh, but no, no critical blow. That being said, you know, being able to re-roll and having vulnerable, that is, that's pretty potent. What was the thought behind
1: adding this as an order onto the unit? By limiting it to an order, that means we can control, obviously, how many times this effect is used while giving them the re-rolls as a melee attack order really helps them get into the nitty gritty of things. I think this compensates for the removal of critical blow. Actually, I think it's even better. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, the Sworn Brothers now, they are, I wouldn't say refocused, but just hammered in better into their role as an offensive, but still all-rounder piece, right? They, with the 4+, 5+, plus, plus defense defensive morale stats, they can still hold up pretty well, but they are going to need that extra help, right? If they're left by themselves, they can get hurt. And, and they have a very strong offensive theme, once again, through the martial training and sundering. That was one of the main like, principles here is when you're looking at
2: the Night's Watch unit, just like touched upon in the article, was basically just focusing each of the Night's Watch units. You know, they have a specific role in the army they are taking. This is what they are good at. The Sworn Brothers here are your example of dealing damage and cutting through armor. That is their role on the battlefield, and that is everything that they have on their effects. You know, the three plus to hit sundering martial training to give out vulnerable and re-rolling attack dice that is their role is these are your damage dealers they don't have any defensive capabilities they don't have any morale tricks they don't have mobility but they do damage and that's basically the theme of most of the units we're looking at is like they fit into a you
0: know specific this is what these guys role is in your army. and they also got to increase to the morale and we see that across all the units that were previewed here is that five plus is kind of the the new normal you might say for these uh Night's Watch troops. So it just seems like they've all been they've been out there on the wall, and their morale's pretty high right now they're feeling pretty good
1: yeah once you've seen the things they've seen right you you don't back down that easily <laughs>
0: exactly and you know speaking of uh, people seeing things we've got these rangers and this rangers are kind of a, a sub theme in the nights watch faction, and we've got the ranger trackers now they they're up to seven points so we saw them get a little bit of a an increase in points here. They still have their order marked target, their cavalry, and they've got Pathfinder, which allows them to ignore the dangerous, hindering, and rough keywords. Increasing in points, paying the price for their their high mobility here. And they've also got, you know, pretty elite stats.
1: Um, The seven points here come not only because of cavalry, of course, and once again, the very, very high offensive stats on the recurve bow. Well, the short sword can still do something, but the recurve bow is really what you're paying your points for. And then Mark Target is just an amazing ability because it works on them, right? Of course, and since you don't get the charge rerolls with the bow, the vulnerable really comes in handy. And Pathfinder is also something that on cavalry is really nasty, right? Because that means you cannot use the terrain to hinder them uh, to your advantage. And they are going to get where they want to go.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a total like harassment piece here and a support piece. Mark Target, you know, is going to throw out... Vulnerable whenever you need it on most of your units. You know, again, you've got some baseline synergies in there of Sworn Brothers if you give them extra attacks. But this is helping out your other units. But otherwise, these guys just go and they harass the enemy because, you know, they can just get around and do that. In a lot of ways, their role really
1: hasn't changed that much. No, they already filled their role, right? They, they already filled their role pretty well. Um, this was, once again, just more of a keeping in line with the changes. But speaking of changes, I think the, the most interesting out of all of these changes
0: are the changes to the veterans of the watch. So we see them go from being eight points in 1.6 to now being seven points. So the same point level as the sworn brothers, but we see them in a really different role. And so Michael, you had already spoken a little bit about that earlier about how, you know, you envision the night's watch having these pieces that fit in a role when you were talking about the sworn brothers. How do we see the veterans of the watch filling their role and maybe talk about the decision to make them be on par with the other the other units that we see? This is
2: going to get slightly spoilery. Neat. So uh, the previous role of the veterans, they were your defensive and kind of tank units. Uh, you know, they were your objective holders and they can still do that really uh, well. But they are not the defensive unit of the Night's Watch, which will actually be coming out in later. But their role was shifted to more so as one of going and tying up threats. So these guys are kind of your counter to the other big, scary units that your opponent might be fielding. So let's say you're up against something like Stag Knights or, you know, some Warrior Sons, or some other just like big like, oh, crap, this is a big, expensive hyper unit here. What am I going to do about it? That's where you're going to send in your veterans to watch because they have a decent Defensive profile with a four plus five plus. They've got the agile, which is going to be a minus one to hit, which is really going to help them out. They've got counter strike to deal some passive damage, which is also going to help them bypass a lot of effects that some of these units might have as far as blocking damage goes. Like just to talk about champions, uh, sorry, uh, Stagnite, since I brought those up, you know, you have counter strike here, which is going to be causing hits for each of the misses that's generated. That's going to help you, like, for example, there bypass their resilience. And then these guys here have, you know, good stats on their dual weapons. Uh, It's a seven, six, five profile. That's a three plus. It doesn't have anything flashy about it, but that exists. And also when you get to talking about the attachments that you can take, this is a very versatile unit. But essentially the role of the veterans here is your your anti unit. These guys are the ones that you see a big threat across the battlefield that you're like, okay, that's going to be a problem for me. And probably the biggest problem I'm going to experience this game. I'm going to send the veterans after it. That's their new role. So, you know, previously, they did have that dynamic shift, where they were defensive units and they were, you know, the ones you want to go and park on objectives. They can still do that, but not really any better than some of the other units. And again, they're not the defensive focused unit of the watch, which, you know, we can talk about
1: uh,
0: sometime in the future, but that's their new role. That's really interesting. I think it definitely fits in with that theme though, right? These are the, the um, you know, maybe you historical listeners out there, like the Roman triarii, like these are the, the elite people that know what they're doing. You, you throw them in there when you like really need that line to hold and, uh, you know, blocking those hits with their agility. That, that seems really cool. I know it's always challenging when there's like several units at the same point level, because then people are going to have personal preferences and there's always concern like, does one rise above the others but in here i think with the three we see sworn brothers ranger trackers uh veterans of the watch and we'll talk about the builder cross in a second like each of them performs such a different role in your army composition it really shakes up list building i think that's going to be maybe the most exciting thing is like trying to figure out how all these pieces now fit in and then, you know, speaking of a different role, we can switch over to the Builder Crossbowmen. We have them and the Ranger Hunters both previewed at seven points. Fabio, could you speak to the, the Builder Crossbowmen? And then maybe, Michael, you could speak to the Ranger Hunters. Like, how do these, these two
1: units fill different roles? Okay, so I think that's a valid question, Chase. And I think they're so distinct amongst each other that they shouldn't really be compared one versus the other. And we'll see why, right? So um, the Crossbowmen, they, they can actually pierce through armor so the sundering and the rerolls on short range, all of these are great ways to get through armor, right? And with the ready aim release uh, order that they have, it's really scary to charge them. <laughs> Let's just say that. So they're really going to grind your opponent down until your opponent reaches them. You can actually form, I know this is, isn't their correct word, but like you can form a gun line out of crossbowmen. And it might really work um, together with some other builder units, let's say, maybe in the few, uh, after we show everything. So <laughs> they're not a very versatile unit. They're good at what they do, right? They're a very specific tool. So they punch through armor and they harass advancing units. You tease, Fabio, you tease. <laughs> no, we, we already know the builder units, right? That's we just true. haven't seen their new versions.
0: So what you're saying is they may change or they may not change? Hmm. Um, I'll, I'll say they did
1: change. Let's just okay.
0: see how much. <laughs> all right. All right. And, and how do you see their role differently, Michael, maybe than the Ranger Hunters? Well, when it comes to
2: the Ranger Hunters, these are your mobility guys and your kind of adaptive ones. Whereas going back to the veterans, those are the ones that you would go and just, you know, plug into taking out big threats. Your Ranger Hunters, probably more than any other of the available options, are your most versatile. As you can see, they've got good ranged options, they've got good melee options, they have swift strikes so they can get in there, uh, hit something and retreat back, they've got quick fire. These are the ones that are really good for taking down those little like chafe units. They don't have any specific weapon keywords here. They are really going to devastate anything on just the raw amount of damage that they can put out. So like again, comparing them to Sworn Brothers, Sworn Brothers are good for punching through armor. If you've got a three plus save or something like that you need to get through, the Sworn Brothers of their Great Swords are good for taking them down. If you're facing threats that have like a five plus or maybe not the best defensive capabilities out there, uh, your Ranger Hunters are what you want to uh, have go into. Your Ranger Hunters also like, again, the adaptability they have to deal with threats is really one of their values. So let's say there is a melee unit that you really don't want something to get you know tangled up with. Well, the hunters can help you bypass that. If you have a unit that's a you know, range unit, that's going to potentially cause some problems. The hunters have the speed to get up there and really get in there. I see that the ranger hunters, if you don't want anything to like have hyper focus, they're going to be one of the options you want to go to. And I really like them as like a command bunker. And again, that depends on which commander you're taking. But that's one of my favorite options to put in there because they can just get around the battlefield and do what they need to. And I feel that really with clever play along the, uh, the vows that you're putting out there. That the hunters can throughout the game, they can kind of be morphed into your problem solving units. Like if you need, you know, if you if you need something in your toolkit that you haven't built into your list via unit, the Ranger Hunters can kind of fill that gap as the game goes on.
0: Do you anticipate seeing more like combined arm lists where we see a lot more uh diversity of units in Night Watch factions? Or do you think we'll, you know, this is all speculation, but what do you think you'll see more like themed like I'm gonna go more ranger units or um, you know, Stick with plenty of Sworn Swords, uh, Sworn Brothers.
2: I think that entirely depends on the commander that you are choosing on how you're going to
0: build your list. Well, that's a perfect segue there. Let's talk about these Night's Watch commanders. Now we've got four commanders here that are shown let's start off with maybe the most iconic maybe one of the most iconic characters in the game and the lore uh john snow the 998th lord commander he no longer has that order indomitable where when he passes a morale test he restores d3 wounds now it's that it's turned into rally cry not an order and it's based upon his damage output and it's on other friendly units, so he's kind of helping his allies, and we see now he has boldness and courage, where he gains additional attack dice, and uh, his unit is bolstered and has you know counts as having a greater rank. How do these changes maybe capture what you feel like Jon Snow is about as a commander?
1: Okay, so Jon Snow, <clears throat> let's say his rally cry, I think really fits in because he has this this charisma to him, right? <clears throat> So he, he really was able to rally people and, to a certain extent, unite the Night's Watch and the Free Folk, which were sworn enemies for ages. So I, I do believe that this is a fitting effect for him. And it also fits the Jon Snow theme of healing, of not dying, let's say. I'd also say that Boldness and Courage is a very strong ability that we sprinkled around like cautiously in, in Attachments. So that really shows his military training, his leadership skills, and honestly, giving plus one rank for attack dice in Night's Watch is really, really scary, right? It helps a lot because it keeps them working at the second rank as well.
2: So Jon Snow is your support commander. Like, a lot of his effects that you're going to see across his cards are going to be about just rallying, you know, gaining additional benefits for your guys for when they're kind of down and getting you, keeping you in the fight. When your guys start getting down, um, you know, and he's you're kind of your bolster commander, so that's why you, you he has boldness and courage to buff his own units. He's got rally cry to buff other units, and his tactics cards are all kind of based around that effect of giving you you know bonuses when the chips are down, and just giving you these little situational bonuses across your units, you know, when you need them. So he's kind of like your uh, your support commander if you really want to like typecast
0: someone into like that playstyle. Absolutely. We've got a lot of we got a lot of commanders here to cover. So, you know, let's actually also talk about Alistair Thorne here. How do we see uh Alistair Thorne kind of being re envisioned in the 2021 update here?
2: I have a certain affinity for Alistair Thorne, and the fact that even now as we were just talking about them, I for some reason cannot ever stop saying Alistair Thorne.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: And I remember he created an issue for me when we did the initial watch because I typoed every single one of his cards as Alistair Thorne. And I still do that. But actually, as far as like, you know, the character goes, I mean, it's fine. I he doesn't fit that old grizzled like guy dynamic that apparently I just really like playing like uh, Donald Noy, I think is if I had to rank my three top favorite like Night's Watch characters. It would actually be uh, Donald Noy, just because of the cool stuff he does in the books, which I guess I won't go into the spoilers there. But he's a <laughs> one arm blacksmith. So, I mean, like, how can you dislike him? Edward Tullet, uh which I think is just like almost he's almost overdone with how much people like him. But I think that he is probably the most like outside of Jon Snow, because, you know, you got your pretty boy plot armor that he might be the like fan favorite Night's Watch character, which he'll definitely be showing up sometime in the future. You know, no, you know, not saying when, but he'll definitely be showing up. And then number one for me, though, is going to be Jor Mormont just because I mean, come on, he's really cool. He's just like, again, fitting that stereotype of like those type of like guys. I like of the old grizz. Like this is he's the old grizzled guy amongst the old grizzled guys.
0: <laughs> That's true. This guy, he's like the, the, the next level, the next <laughs> tier of that. Yeah, he's, he's
2: your He's your, you know, your super saiyan form.
0: Uh, <laughs> but talking about like Alistair
2: Thorne's uh, play style, this is he's one of the rare sources of panic and like kind of morale uh, manipulation within the watch. That's not something they specialize in. And so you're having to get that via his commander here. And you're getting that via Vicious, via Prey on Fear. And then his cards here, which are more about debuffing the enemy and uh, causing the, that kind of panic and morale damage. So you have uh, Price of Failure, which we've uh, shown before. You, know, you get to do auto hits for the sake of hurting your own guys. Seeing their flaws and pathetic attempts are both based around punishing the enemy for basically being worse than you. And this is the play style that he previously had. Again, this is just kind of a refocusing here, but very specifically to his uh, character version here and his attachment version, he's one of the only sources of um, morale and panic damage that exists across the entirety of the wash. So if that's the type of thing that you want to play, and you're up against an army that's particularly weak against that, like, say, Lannisters or Free Folk, then this is one of the commanders that you might want to you know take for that.
0: Well, how about this, uh, Fabio? Can you give us a hand with Donald Noy then, defender of Castle Black? How does he kind of help continue this idea of the defensive commander? And secondly, um, when we see the tactics zone elements on the commanders, are we going to see the Night's Watch then, has their has their vows aren't as focused on the tactics board? Is that all shifted to the commanders as well then?
1: Okay, so I'll start with the shifting to the commanders. I think that's a more broad question. And um, not all commanders are going to have necessarily tactic zones that are um, really tied to them. It really depends. In the case of improved armaments, this this ability needs a zone for you to control, for it to be balanced and, and even flavorful, I'd say, but mostly balanced. So... We, we believe that his full just defensive capability was a little much. And um, stacking that with all the nightswatch defensive effects in general was a little overwhelming. So with set for charge, this is a really strong defensive ability. And we noticed that players also perceive this as a strong ability. So we, we thought that placing this here would make sense. And at the same time, the improved armaments um, show that he, he's the master blacksmith, right? And he's bringing um, his secret stash into the game, right? That's kind of the idea we wanted to pass there. Yeah, as Fabio said, he is the master blaster and he controls Bard so that's <laughs>
0: why he gains all
2: these bonuses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then finally we've got awful yarwick the first builder and he gives out an actual affiliation this unit is a builder unit so additionally to that he's also hardened so each time that enemy that enemy performs an attack on the unit they get to block an additional hit in increasing by the number of ranks that the unit has And he's also got spotter when attacking enemies in long range of this unit. Friendly war machines may reroll any attack dies. How does he really stand apart uh, distinct from the other commanders here? We see that he still has his his, uh, builder command cards that we don't know yet. Um, But, you know, how does he stand maybe apart from the other commanders here?
2: I think one of the biggest things that you overlooked is that he is a former NCU commander that is now on the battlefield. Ready to rock. As we spoke about before, NCU commanders were removed and their versions got switched to being on-field commanders, which Othul here had a, a, a attachment version before the Gate Spotter, and now his NCU commander has just become a field commander, with a additional focus on the builder trait and synergies with those units. So the war machines, the builder crossbowmen, as you see, he can give affinity to, you know, uh, a unit and turn them into a builder unit as well. But his whole thing is about offensive combat buffs and actually with a rapid construction there, some terrain manipulation, which uh, you'll you've seen as a theme there in the, as well with the senior builder uh, attachment from the
0: attachment box. And so that kind of becomes a core part of like the builder identity then, which kind of makes sense uh, to, be able to, to build and manipulate the battlefield as they shaping shape.
2: the battlefield to their raw will. or just you know constructing a bunch of hastily
0: put together piles crap you know whatever you got around which of these characters are you most excited about to
1: see people's reactions to Mm, i'd say offal is the one that's going to raise the most speculation (laughs) probably because his abilities are very unique in his cards right the card names it's very hard for you to take away something from them right but i think a lot of people are going to comment on Donald Noy just because he's changed a lot from his other commander version. And he was one of the one of everyone's favorites, I guess, in, in 1.6.
0: Yeah. In fact, does he have any of his cards uh, continuing on here? None. That's a really interesting character, too, because it, with the, the Night's Watch gaining so much strength... As the game goes on, getting more and more vows, I can see the the stock in like a defensive commander being quite high.
2: Well, he is the defender of Castle Black. He's the one that you know you're going to sit there and you're going to hold your ground against every prevailing threat. I would actually say that while the commanders to me are very interesting, I think that the most type of talk is going to come from the the non commander character attachments. Uh, we spoke about this very briefly in the article. But Night's Watch being the elite focus they are, like they do have some cheap options in your army, but there are trade-offs to taking them. I'm not just going to say like rampantly in the form of wounds and things, but that's that's the first one that came to my mind. So you're going to be pushed into running this, you know, elite, you know, army here, of course, by design. So a lot of your units average cost is going to be sitting there around seven. So your attachment options are going to really come into play. but. With the characters of the Night's Watch and their generic attachments in general, the few that they do have, you're getting some additional value for uh, what you're getting, even amongst other factions. So, you know, like a one point attachment in the Night's Watch will probably be sitting around like a 1.5 cost attachment that you would see in like another faction or something for that nature there to represent just the, uh, the nature of the faction here. And this is something that's important to go into play because I know there's going to be a bunch of, like, cross, you know, comparisons between right. people are going to go, oh, this is a one-point Night's Watch attachment, and this is a one-point attachment from another faction that has literally the same abilities, but then the Night's Watch one has one on top of that. And that's a matter of balancing internally with the factions, that, you know, not everything is just weighed straight across there. Like, a one-point attachment granting an ability into a Stark army is going to be weighed differently than that same one-point attachment's ability in, say, a Lannister or Night's Watch So, you know, these are all factors to take into play. And I feel that that's something that people are just by their nature going to do. They're going to, you know, just in vacuums, start comparing things across faction here. Again, that's not something that we can really do because you have to factor in commanders. You have to factor in tactics cards availability, other unit synergies, tactics cards specifically,
0: and CU's. And, you know, with that being said, you know, there's a lot to factor in. There's a lot we still don't know. Right, like the whole time we're going through this, I was thinking, man, I wonder, like, what's the Builder Scorpion looking like? Like, is it massively different or not? You know, we got these siege weapons. There's so many other parts of the Night's Watch faction. Heck, even the the Watch Marshal. So, you know, these are all previews, and we've spent the last you know couple months now talking about these upcoming changes, and it's been really exciting to just get to to have these kind of casual conversations and pick your brain and, and just kind of hear about what's going on behind the scenes here as you're, as you're picking these. And it's definitely helped made the time pass a lot more easier. Um, but now we're kind of getting towards the end here, right? And the, the embers and the flames are starting to, to, to lower down. And you know, are we now gonna settle in for you know a, a little bit of a wait here until uh, reinforcements arrives, or might there be anything on the horizon?
2: Oh, Chase, the visions never end, and the long night's not upon us yet.
1: Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, we need at least uh, one more so the people can show their amazing nice watch painted miniatures, right? I'm hoping to, I'm eager to see that.
0: Oh, okay. Hey, I'll take you out on that. Uh, make sure you drop those in the Facebook page, the On The Table Gaming Facebook page, in the comments for where this podcast is posted. And we'll see if we can get a, a, a good, strong representation of the most patient faction, the one that certainly waited the longest. And the the Guardians of the Realms of Men, the Night's Watch.
2: Well, so I also know as well, you know, people ask, like, well, why does Night's Watch last? And that really comes down to simple. I'm not going to say luck of the draw, but I mean, if someone's first, someone's got to be last. We only have X number of factions. So that's how that came out. But let's do one more here for the uh, for the listeners here, Chase. So Ooh. let's uh, end the topic of continuing the visions and everything. And we do have some other topics to talk about because we're not done yet. But let's actually see if people had to choose one topic for, you know, dedicated focus on one an article and let's say even a, a podcast between us, Chase, like something that we'll actually discuss, what topic would that be? I think that would be, aside from flooding your comment section with a bunch of Night's Watch pictures, that's another thing that, you know, people can flood with is what is the, the one kind of like holdover topic that they would like to see kind of discussed more in depth, if anything? If I said Tormund Giants Bane right now, how many do you think people would be? <laughs> okay, we will discuss like
0: Torman's Giants Spain another like, one oh, hour special. No, 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 that was a joke. Oh God. Oh no. But all right. Anyhow, yeah, I still hear that a bit. So so let us know in the comments then something you'd like to see explored. Uh, and then, you know, we can also gather some questions, then, right? So a lot of these times um we haven't been able to necessarily we record a little bit in advance not able to get necessarily any uh, community feedback in advance, Um, but let us know some of the topics and questions you might have, and we'll gather them up for something to discuss. And Michael, Fabio, thank you so much for coming on here. I know it's been a, 2020 has been, and now into 2021, has been just a, a crazy year. And I know I can speak for the community when I say, we really do appreciate all the hard work that you've been doing. Um, you know, games are a great distraction and talking about this stuff has been really, really fun. And, you know, these past couple of months, it's been great that you've been really reaching out and talking with the community and interacting with people to help kind of pass this time. And we're so excited. You know, we've got we've got Dreams of Spring and, uh, you know, the... uh the, the, the changes that are yet to come are we're really excited for. So we really do appreciate you, you, you taking all this time.
1: Thank you very much, Chase. Um, it's been really interesting. And the community has been very, very positive And that's amazing, right? So it, it's, it was great. It was a great year because of the, it, it, it made the year better in a way that we saw people like very eager for the visions and the flames and everyone discussing uh, all the changes. And that also gave us a drive to keep pushing forward, right? And think about the future and try to make a very good game.
0: Well, keep up the hard work. And uh, we're really excited uh, to get these things in our hands and on the table.